This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here's Kane in the pipe. Oh, and it's yes. blocked. And it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Well, hello, hello. Welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. And... Yeah, we have a special guest joining us today. Uh, we're going to talk to Eric Eager of Sumer Sports, formerly of Pro Football Focus. little research and development data we're going to get on the black and gold heading into the draft, which is three weeks away. Wow. I know. Yeah, we're just going to we're just <laughs> going to have more and more smoke screening. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Eric about that. We're also going to talk to him about the frequent arguments he gets in on the internet because I always appreciate a good internet argument. Um, also, if you're, if you're watching this, see if I, my souvenir. Nice. They put it on the chairs. It was a, just a bag. Did you get any kind of like souvenir cups to bring home too or nah? No. No, but I did spend $28 on a, uh, a potato with brisket okay. and a beer. Which w- Wise investment there with the, the, the potato and brisket, both good protein right there. It was very good. Like I need to people to understand that the food at Energy Stadium is immensely better than the food at the Superdome, and like I I'm saying this more as like a personal challenge than anything else. Like, hey man, I agree, agree right? Center plate, whoever I think that's the the company that does it. It's like step your game up, y'all. Anyway, so we're not here to talk about the food at Energy Stadium, but we are going to talk about we're going to get into a mailbag in the third segment. So we're going to collect questions from viewers and, and answer those. I imagine a lot will be draft related, probably Hendon Hooker related. So we're going to get into that. Uh, but first, it sounds and and you know we'll, we'll have to see going forward. But it does sound like people are starting to come around slightly on this idea that the Saints don't necessarily have to go in the tank to be a successful franchise. Isn't that wild? And here's what Peter Schrager had to say to Kyle Brandt and company on Good Morning Football about how the Saints have operated this season. I think the tone of it is nice because I was beginning to wonder if there was anyone out there who felt this way. 
I find the Saints really interesting also because this could have been a good time for them to rip the Band-Aid off, turn the page, and say, let's let's go into a rebuild. You know, a lot of those mm. veterans are aging right now, and you look at they don't have a first-round pick. They traded that away last year, and they went 7-10 last year. So you're like, you know what? Let's just tear the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton's no longer here. Let's build it up with some new guys, and let's build for the future. They didn't do that. Like, they doubled down. They went and they gave Derek Carr, a veteran, a huge contract to come in. They wooed him. They courted him. They traveled to Indianapolis to meet with him. And they signed that deal immediately after the combine. And then they reworked contracts with, like, veterans. I'm talking Cam Jordan and Demario Davis and Tyron Matthew and, and Alvin Kamara and Lattimore. They reworked and restructured all these contracts where it was, no, let's not cut these guys. Let's bring them all back. Taysom Hill's coming back. Like, all of these guys are coming back. It was as if... Last year, okay, it didn't work. But what if we added a quarterback to all that core? Would it work? Um, It almost feels like what the Jets are doing in a way where it's, we've got this core and we're just a quarterback away. Mm. And that's what the Saints viewed it as. I look at Mickey Loomis, who's the general manager of the New Orleans Saints and has been there, was part of the group that hired Sean Payton way back when in 2004. And he's still the GM and he's still making moves. And like, I think he's looking at what you're looking at, Jason. And it's not just the quarterbacks. They're looking at teams that, all right, the Panthers have the first overall pick. The Falcons, they're in complete rebuild mode. The, the Buccaneers are in this depressive state right now where it's either Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask, or whatever. We don't even know. We're coming yeah. up with Tom Brady. Yeah. I think the Saints general manager, yeah. Mickey Loomis, looked at it and said, I'm not rebuilding. I'm doubling, tripling down. And for that, I'll always take the veteran team over the question really? of unknowns. Mm. I, the Raiders, I just don't know what Can it I is. Just, like, Dennis Allen, one of the most low-profile coaches in the league by far. Take 30 seconds and Dennis decided about Dennis Allen. What is it? What is it? He's a defensive coach. They're saying we're going to have another shot. And Dennis Allen obviously had great success as a defensive coordinator in the league and then gets the head job and now has been bouncing around. But he's in New Orleans. That was their decision. There's no talk about him at all. No, no it wasn't on the hot seat. They yeah. were like, he's our coach no matter what after last year. We looked at that coach's picture. I mean, yeah, who was there it? was nothing, you know? That's Jason McCourty, by the way. He's the third, the third guy voice in there. I can't remember who the host's name is. But, you know, I, I do wonder how much of this is Peter Schrager, if he's still feeling bad about, about misreporting that Sean Payton went and talked to the team ahead of that Raiders game <laughs> and not giving Dennis Allen any credit at all for his team going and shutting out the Raiders. And it's ironic because – that is the team that the question he was answering was, do you feel more confident in what the Raiders are doing or what the saints are doing? And he's very openly saying, yes, I would much prefer to see what the saints are doing. And I do think it's like, I keep waiting for someone in NFL media to be like, no tanking is not the answer to all of your problems. It's just the start of a whole new host of problems. And if you are in a position where you don't have to tank, not going that route is is not a mistake, right? Like so many teams that end up tanking get there because they don't have a choice. They don't have an option. They were bad to begin with. And the only option was, do we win five games or do we win two games? They were not in playoff contention. The Texans were not playoff caliber teams. The Bears were not a playoff caliber team, right? The Giants the last five years before this season, they weren't openly tanking. They were just bad. Right. Same with the Bengals. The Bengals weren't trying to lose to end up with Joe Burrow. They were just bad. So when you have a chance to be a competitive team, it's not a negative thing to go and do that. You you can say, well, they don't have a chance to win a Super Bowl. But what the hell does that even mean? If you get to the playoffs, you have a chance to win a Super Bowl. The hardest part is getting there. And once you get there, then you can figure that out. But I appreciate that people are coming, starting to come at this, at least Peter Schrager is starting to come at this from a much more reasonable place where tanking is not this end-all be-all of your existence in the NFL. 
No, I'm totally against it. Uh, I think, you know, you start breeding, you know, that losing kind of atmosphere and it just, it can't be a good thing. I was really uh, shocked how surprised Shrags was with that Taysom Hills coming back. And I was like, well, I mean, was was he it ever said that as if there was any question? <laughs> I, I guess was he thinking that Denver was going to trade for him since Sean Payton went there? I, that's that was the only thing I could think of. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think people are very confused with Taysom Hill and his contract. Under- what it really is paying him too? Yeah, I mean, like I still think he doesn't necessarily completely understand what the Saints are doing, but he's at least he's at least wrapped his arms around the concept. And I do think it's funny because in general, I don't think most people understand that Taysom Hill is not a quarterback anymore, right? They're just like, why is he there if he's not a quarterback? And it's like, well, go watch the game and you'll understand why he's there. But he's ta- he's looking at it almost like he's not the backup quarterback. Why are you paying him all this money? And anyway, it's it's kind of funny. But yeah, yeah, you I, I would think though a guy that dialed in with like Schrager would realize what you know that that utility piece that he is for this team. I just thought like with that either it was the salary that the Saints he thinks you know is is a big detriment to the Saints. Or the fact that for sure Sean Payton would be coming after the guy that he was calling, you know, Steve Young 2.0 for a while. Unless you're sitting there watching the games to see how they're using him, I think it is easy to kind of miss the the finer points there of like, what well, why is he there if he's not playing quarterback? Well, he's he's a short yardage weapon. He can throw the ball. He makes it more difficult to defend you. And yeah, on its face, you look at the snaps and you look at the stats, it it doesn't make a ton of sense. And that's why I think you got that kind of reaction. But either way, I I, I appreciated that. I know you feel it too. There is something no different when Taysom is on the field. It's almost like, you know, you hear people whispering. Everyone's curious what's going to happen because, oh my God, is he going to throw the pass? Is he going to catch it? Is he going to run with it? It, He definitely brings a different type of energy to this offense when he is out there. And that's why... I was hoping to see even more of him last year, even though, you know, he, he obviously uh, had a huge part leading the team in uh, rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's even less about, you know, the fans doing that and it's, than the other team is like, <laughs> they don't know what he's going to do. And that's right. what makes it such an advantage anyway. So we, we can move on from that, but I did, I just appreciate it. Like it's nice to see some national media, at least, you know, it doesn't sound like he necessarily completely agrees with what they're doing. And we're going to talk to Eric eager and I don't think he necessarily completely agrees with what they're doing either, but I think both of them are in at least a fair ballpark of like assessing it rather than just like karate chop. No, this is wrong. You should be trading off all of your players and being bad like the Bucks are doing in the coming. I don't know how you, I can't remember how he phrased it. They're in a very dark place or a depressive place, something like that. But someone who's never in a dark, depressive place, we got to talk to Archie Manning. You got to talk to Archie Manning earlier this week at out at Manning's. And he had a really interesting clip about Derek Carr and what his opinions are of Derek Carr. And before we get into this, it's worth mentioning and reminding people that Archie Manning was one of the people who helped court Derek Carr to the Saints. He texted him almost immediately. Like he reached out to Derek Carr before Derek Carr reached out to him. And, you know, when you're trying to when you're trying to woo a quarterback to come sign your city, it's not not too shabby to have the, the Mannings on your on your pitch, is it? Yeah, definitely. You know, NFL legends. Uh, you want to say like the first family of football, maybe I've heard before, which is pretty like amusing. It, it's it's unbelievable the legacy that is continuing now, even with Arch Manning going on. Obviously, I like Derek. I I liked him since he came in the league. If you remember, um, his older brother David. Uh, was the first pick yeah. in the draft. 
team won very good in Houston. Didn't work out. I mean, they, they they threw him in there. I'm not sure he was handled right, but he wound up being Eli's backup uh, in New York for a couple of years. Nice young man. He does a great job, but a real handsome kid. He's on he does a great job on NFL Network. But uh, I, I've watched Derek. I don't know Derek well. But, you know, Peyton, Peyton is good friends with John Gruden, and he's been to Oakland practices. Where Gruden had Peyton to practice a few years ago when Derek was a young player. He liked him right off the bat. Uh, he spent some more time with him this year when he and Eli coached the Pro Bowl. And even though it was flag, <laughs> flag ball, that was Derek's, uh, well, he, I guess you'd say kind of his swan song as a, as a, as a Raider. Um, good guy. Really, really good guy. This town, the people, the fans, you're going to like Derek Carr. You're going to like Derek Carr. He's, uh, he just he wears that hat as a quarterback. He's been around. He's done his experience now. Um, he's probably he's going to have a – you know, we had a, we had a great quarterback here that I always thought played with a chip on his shoulder. And uh, I, I always felt like Drew played with a chip. But just cause I, I met Drew Brees when he was a senior uh, in high school. I spoke at a banquet in Austin, Texas. And I was just talking to him, and I asked him, I said, well, where are you going? And he said, well, I think maybe Purdue. And I kind of wanted to say, well, why aren't you going to Texas or why aren't you going to Texas right. A&M? They didn't and I think I'm glad the answer was because they didn't want him. And so I thought, I've always thought he played with a chip. And I, I think Derek's going to be playing with a little chip. I mean, he was a franchise guy for the Raiders, and all of a sudden they decided they got a new coach in there, and this guy says he doesn't want him. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good, solid quarterback for us. Good, good person, good leader. Uh, he, he checks the boxes. I think that's a really good point in that, like, you're not just getting Derek Carr. You are getting motivated Derek Carr. And it's like the LSU didn't just get Joe Burrow. They got, oh, you don't think I can do this, Joe Burrow? Like, LSU didn't just get Angel Reese. They got, oh, Joe Biden doesn't think I can do this, Angel Reese. The Patriots didn't just get Tom Brady. They got, oh, you don't think I'm worthy of a top five round pick, Tom Brady? And, like, you see that type of reaction from players. And it is a difference. Like you, when you are motivated, it does change the dynamic a little bit. And if, if Derek Carr is going to be able to show up and be something different than he was with the Raiders, I think that's a big part of it. And definitely one of the first things he mentioned too is uh, Derek Carr was the fact that he's well aware where the Super Bowl is this year. And he wants nothing more than to bring this Saints team to Las Vegas to play in it. I didn't realize it was in Las Vegas, so he knows more than I do. <laughs> um, Vegas, baby. I will be in Vegas next week. Hmm. What, That's it. We, That's all I got to say. That's why I have a haircut. <laughs> there you go, right? That's why I look so well kept. Yeah, everyone's like, who are these? Who's this guy over here now? <laughs> yeah, I have my hair hasn't been this short in, in like months and months and months. It, well, I felt bad for the person cutting it because it was like it was like shearing a shearing a lamb. That's okay. I'm sure that she had one of those like it's like a suction vacuum thing right next to it. The, the chairs usually. Uh, they did. They have one of those things where you like sweep the hair into it and it just goes right. like a shredder. Anyway, yeah. So shout out to to Danny over at the Rooster Club. She does a good job. Check it out. Anyway, so that's. I think that's it. I mean, I I think Archie. I always loved listening to Archie. He has great stories. One of the reasons I know that Sean Payton had been angling to leave. For multiple years before he left was because Archie told us that <laughs> you know he's got so much just so much institutional knowledge of things of the game of football in New Orleans that just you you know listening to him is just like you just want to be a sponge you know it just has all of it 
it's just pretty amazing, obviously, what he's been able to accomplish on the field, off of it with the passing academy and the amount of talent that comes through there is, you know, absolutely unbelievable when you look at, you know, the big names and it's just a, a good a good venue for that display of talent and the fact that it's right here, it's pretty cool. I mean, I remember my first time getting to go there and it was like, you're in the presence of this quarterback legends right off the bat of Archie Manning, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. And it's just, you know, the amount of QB swag right there is unbelievable. I mean, the, and the, and the quarterbacks, you're, you're there rubbing shoulders with Bryce Young and, and Joe Burrow yeah. and all these guys. The reason I know Bryce Young was not six feet tall was because I stood next to him at, the Manning Passing Academy in Nickel <laughs> State. I'm like, I'm six feet tall. You are not as tall as me, sir. And I'm barely six feet tall. I'm six feet in shoes. I'm more like 5'11 and three quarters. So I'm looking down at Bryce Young. He's 5'10 at best. Anyway, no, it, it's a really cool event. If you've never been there, I, I don't know. Is it open to just people to go show up? I guess it is, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have what one or two days where the folks, go uh, yeah, that people can attend kind of thing. I know last it's year, an expensive when, camp to attend, yes. but always sold out. Oh, yeah. And la- last year when I was there, I remember they had a dunk tank, and all the players were really excited because they were going to get to dunk Eli, but he never showed up. I think he he was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that, and he left. And everyone was like, what the hell? Why didn't he show up? Anyway, they didn't get to dunk Eli, but they got to dunk their coaches and stuff, their counselors. So that's uh, always I was like, come on, we need, we need to get one of the Mannings in there for sure. Right. Well, speaking, speaking of greatness... We're going to be coming back with uh, that's a big that's a big intro. Maybe I should tone it down. We're going to come back with Eric Eager, v- Eric Eager, VP of Research and Development at Sumer Sports. Got a lot of great insight. He's the stat guy. And you can check him out on Twitter at Eric Eager underscore. We're going to be coming back with that interview. And then we'll go into a live mailbag to close out the show. Keep it locked on Inside Black and Go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, alongside, as always, Steve Geller. And as mentioned previously, we are bringing in special guest Eric Eager, formerly of PFF. He's now with Sumer Sports, the VP of Research and development. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great, guys. I think that, uh, you know, the football offseason uh, pr- really doesn't start till May. And so uh, we, we really get another month of, of speculation and all that good stuff uh, before we can really take some time off. 
Yeah, who knew that we'd still be waiting for a destination or a confirmed destination for Brett Favre and all this madness. Um, but yeah, this, this, this offseason. He does this I, every time. He calls Aaron Rodgers Brett Favre. Oh my gosh, I did it again. It, it is. It's like this disgusting fungus I have going on. I don't know. Like, uh, I, But yeah, uh, Aaron Rodgers going to the, the Jets seems like the, the worst kept secret kind of deal. But um, yeah, again, a typical NFL offseason where it's just entertaining and with this Saints squad, obviously, uh, bringing in a guy like Derek Carr was a big splash here that I think everyone kind of expected when there were those rumblings happening with the Raiders this past season, and we saw that fallout over there, and it just seemed like a good fit for this squad. And just, you know, curious your take when you think on a guy like Carr, his production over the seasons. I know... Last year was typically, you know, looked at as a really down year for him. But in previous seasons, uh, it just looks like a guy that kind of fits in what the Saints offense does pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he's accurate. He's, you know, certainly an above average quarterback. I think that the it, it's hard because, you know, he was starting to fall off. And then John Gruden came. And I thought that John Gruden actually gave him, like, a fairly significant boost in performance, and you know, from 20 – uh, 18 to 2019 through 20, even 21. I think he was probably playing his best football. And then uh, once Gruden left, they got lucky and won some games, but he had kind of fallen off. And then last year was really rough for him. But he, he comes to a, you know, a Saints team now with Olave, Michael Thomas, if, if he can stay healthy. Like there's some weapons there for him that I think he'll be okay with. Offensive line's fine. Uh, you know, it's a pretty good, frankly, uh, especially relative to what he had with the Raiders. You know, I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan, but I think that he can have success here, especially in a conference where, you know, uh, the best quarterbacks are not particularly, uh, you know, well-represented. Yeah, and I think one, one of the questions that I have for a lot of people who aren't necessarily, because I talk to a lot of people inside the market, and I think there's kind of this idea of how the Saints operate within the market, and then you get outside the market. And there are a lot of differing viewpoints on not only how the Saints operate, but how long they've tried to extend this title window beyond Drew Brees and not resetting the way a team like the Bucks appears to be very dead set on doing this year and maybe trying to turn that into a kind of a one-year turnaround, almost like what the Colts did when they moved on from Peyton Manning and got Andrew Luck. What is your opinion on how the Saints have tried to kind of stretch this out and obviously bringing in Derek Carr? Do you think it's kind of a lost cause or is it more of like a you know, this is a wide open division and it would almost be foolish for at least not one team to try to go win it. Yeah, I think on one end, you know, there's a lot of teams in the NFC for which it makes sense to do this a little bit, right? Minnesota's in a similar, you know, not necessarily as bad of a, con a situation, but in a similar situation, uh, you know, the Saints have been in that situation for a while. You know, Green Bay, you know, tried with Rodgers. Now Rodgers is a much better player than Carr, but you know, they tried to extend the window. I think it's natural to want to do that, given that when you look across, you know, Tampa Bay, as you said, is down. Carolina is going all in for a rookie quarterback. And Atlanta can't seem to, you know, they have their, you know, their bouts of trying to go all in. My my current boss, Thomas Dimitrov, was the GM. And, and they, they tried to go back and win the 2016 Super Bowl a few times. And, like, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I think with the Saints, like, I look at it and I say, you know, when you look around the roster – you know, I don't see, you know, Ryan Ramchek's not getting any younger. You know, Michael Thomas, of course, is not getting any younger. Neither is Kamara, you know, Cam Jordan. 
uh, Lattimore, you know, all those guys, you never really, uh, Demario Davis, like at some point though, the, you know, the wheels are going to fall off those players. And I don't see a lot of young guys kind of stepping up for them. So the question becomes like, when do you finally turn it off with bringing Carr in means it's probably going to be a couple of years from now before they do. But I think it's natural for them to, you know, to do the opposite of what Tampa Bay is doing because teams are do you know, teams are doing what green Bay and Tampa are doing and sort of throttling back, opening up a position for the saints to possibly make the playoffs and do something. Yeah. And looking at this saints roster right now, after the additions and free agency, you know, bringing in a running back, uh, getting some defensive tackle help after losing some guys. What do you really see as this team's biggest needs heading into this draft? I know locally we're definitely locked in on still defensive tackle, uh, defensive end, linebacker, running back. The the notion of selecting a quarterback in round one definitely does not seem likely, obviously, with the addition of Derek Carr. Yeah, I think corners one, it's big. You can never have enough corners, especially when you're a team that has a lot of veteran players. You know, with guys that are prone to getting injured, you want to have a good stable of corners. You know, interior offensive line, like there's a lot of money invested and a lot of capital invested, but that hasn't been necessarily a good position for the team for a while. I think tight end, like my Thomas Dimitrov and I on the Sumer Sports Show last night, we went through the top five tight ends. I, you know, obviously the Saints, when they are a powerhouse in the NFL, you know, it's been, you know, they've always had great tight ends, you know, Jeremy Shockey and, and you know, uh, Jimmy Graham and that kind of thing when they've won. That's another position. But I, I think it's got to be the weak link positions. It has to be offensive line. It has to be corner. They, they did an okay job. You know, Kylan Saunders, I think, is a good player uh, from Kansas City in free agency. Wide receiver, you could always use more players. I, I know Shahid had a, you know, very promising year, but you can always use more wideouts especially given the injury history of Michael Thomas. So those positions I think are, are really are good ones for the saints to address when they're picking. And there should be guys kind of in that, you know, 29 to 40 range uh, that are going to be beneficial for them there. All right. So kind of, I want to take this off the beaten track a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about your presence on Twitter is it's very similar to my own in that you're, you're a, you're a die on a hill kind of guy when it comes to certain, certain arguments. And one that I see you waging often is the Pat Mahomes is that good argument. And I appreciate it because I think there's this subset of like sports analysis and, and you're obviously close to this with, you know, your work with, with statistics and, and like kind of an in-depth analysis. And it, it always kind of reminds me of when I was in high school, I had a statistics professor who he said this line multiple times and he said, statistics are like a cheap prostitute. They're not hard to get. And once you get them, you can do whatever you want with them. <laughs> and in hindsight, it's probably not something you should say to, to, to children. But either way, I think it's it's fair because it reminds me of the arguments that I would get in with people about, you know, well, Mike Thomas isn't really that good. All he does is run slants. And it's like, well, is Steph Curry not that good because all he does is shoot threes and not enough mid-range jumpers? And I think that it kind of gets to this point of there's this large subset of social media and analysis that is almost like they're trying to prove the point that these players aren't that good. You've been duped and this is why. And I think there's this there's this element of sports analysis and statistics where the statistics are only part of the equation. You also have to analyze them in a way that is sensible and actually tells you the story the way it is actually being shown on the field. And you only get that sometimes, right? Like there's so many numbers and so many variables that you can go into. 
And I think it's the analysis part that people forget. And I'm curious what your take is uh, on that front. Yeah, I think you make such good points there. Like, you know, when I started at PFF, not everybody had the data. And like, mm-hmm. then everybody starts to get the data. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then the money it, it was made in adjusting the data for context. And then once everybody can adjust the data for context, then there's, you know, how okay, let's say this guy's a 97 grade. What is that worth in the open market? Now we're all right. sort of there. And I think Saints fans, you know, because of their cap maneuverings, they understand some of those things like that you can move around cap money. Okay, so now it's, and there's always, I want statistics to be the first 90% of the answer. And then I want the 10% to be the expertise of whoever's talking. So for me, it's like, as a data-driven person who understands football, like that's where my, I, the data can't be the last 10% of the argument. It has to be the first 90. And then from there I come in and say, well, you know, for Derek Carr, it's like, well, why doesn't Derek Carr win? You know, or why does why do Pat why is Patrick Mahomes in the AFC comp, you know conference title game every single year, right? And why is Alvin Kamara amazing? You know, why does Michael Thomas yeah, have our time staying healthy? Like all those things, I think like the data can get you into the ballpark, but then from there you differentiate yourself, whether that be in sports betting, whether that be in DFS, or whether that just be in analysis you differentiate yourself for how you jump off from that first 90%. Now, I think like due to companies like PFF and hopefully eventually Sumer Sports and, you know, great, I think really intelligent people covering teams, like we're all almost aligned on the first 90%. It's that last 10 that I think you really have to deploy, you know, some of the hard earned, you know, subject matter expertise. You know, with only three weeks away now from this NFL draft kicking off, we obviously know that the quarterbacks are the, you know, prime commodities all the time in these these drafts and expect uh, some guys to even go ahead of some projections uh i'm really curious just because the saints have been involved with uh the quarterback hendon hooker where you think he ultimately ends up I, i mean so many people think it's a third fourth round grade but there's been whispers now I'm hearing folks talking about him getting up into the first round. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you got to be kidding me here. I mean, <laughs> is it just for that that extra you know, year of a rookie deal that you might do that with him? Well, I think that that is, is worth it. Like, I think if you're the Eagles, do you wish now that you would have traded a third or fourth round pick to have an extra year of control on Jalen Hurts? Probably do, yeah. right? Um, that's a big deal. I think with Hooker, though, you saw the market move from like minus 150 for on over or sorry under four and a half quarterbacks in round one moved all the way to like minus 225 which is a, a significant move uh, if you look at DraftKings yesterday I, I don't think hooker goes in round one I and in fact if you look at the history of the first round of the draft so you go all the way back to like let's say 2017 like Deshaun Kaiser fell into the second round 2018 Lamar Jackson fell it to pick 32 Mason Rudolph was talked about in a similar vein to Hennon mm-hmm. Hooker Okay. Um, in 2018, you know, 19, Drew Locke fell to 42. 2020, you know, Love fell to 26th or so. 21, you saw Mac Jones fall to 15, and then no one after that. Uh, and then last year, you know, obviously Malik Willis fell all the way to around three. In fact, Desmond Ritter fell all the way, you know, uh, we actually went ahead of him. Both guys were about even money to be taken in the first round when the draft kicked off on the betting market. So, I think a lot of it, a lot of, you know, quarterbacks are really valuable. And I think, you know, agents and stuff like that are capitalizing on it now. I don't foresee it happening. I think you're more likely to see a fall from a guy like like Will Levis than you are to see a rise from a guy like Malik, uh, 
uh, like Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I think the the month before the draft, early April, is like prime smokescreen season. Everyone is going to tell you everything they want you to hear. And uh, it's, you know, you've got to take all of it with a grain of salt. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. this guy's going for a visit there. And it's like they, they just want the, the a physical. That's really all they're trying to get. And anyway, you know, so you've mentioned you've mentioned Sumer Sports a couple of times. And obviously we're talking to Eric Eager. And so I know you do a lot of work with Thomas Dimitrov. I've gotten a chance to talk with uh, Thomas. I've gotten to interview him. And he, he's a good example of this kind of dynamic in sports where I think people underestimate how just generally intelligent a lot of these GMs are beyond even football. Like Thomas is just a fascinating person. And, uh, you know, if you could just tell us kind of what y'all are doing there. I don't know if it's necessarily a household name at this point, as, for example, like PFF might be. But y'all are doing a lot of interesting things. So why don't you just kind of go into that and explain that? Yeah, so uh, Thomas and I became friends kind of during my time with PFF. Like I started, I did a lot of work for the Falcons. When when Thomas got fired, I reached out to him and basically asked him, you know, if he would help me build PFF's product for a general manager. And over time, you know, we really got, you know, I think he's wonderful. He does, like you said, he's very open-minded. I think very intelligent guy. He's obviously one in the, in this league, being a GM for 12 and a half years. And so, you know, ultimately he eventually, you know, latched onto Sumer Sports, Paul Tudor Jones, one of the best macro traders of all time. I want, you know, he and his son wanted to start a football analytics company they made Thomas the CEO. Eventually, I came on as VP of R&D. And, you know, we're building you know, optimization tools for NFL teams. Uh, we're also doing some stuff in the media space. You know, our, our podcast, The Sumer Sports Show, you know, as well as our Twitter, at Sumer Sports. We're trying to be, I think, a you know, a, a data-driven, you know, place where people can go and get football insights. Uh, it's been a pleasure to work with them. I, I think, we're you know, we're, we're delivering our draft dashboard to a couple client clubs uh, at the end of the month. And uh, we're really excited for that. So, you know, just kind of, you know, ground floor. There's a PFF was a tremendous place to start my career. And um, I, there are a lot of things I would have liked to have done there um, that I didn't get to do. And, and, and I'm getting to do a lot of those things here at Sumer. What's the origin of the name? Well, so like the Sumerians were like the first to use math and statistics to okay. help build their society. So like that, that's kind of the, 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 the very ground floor of that. See, like I said, it's a very, very high level, uh, High level organization You're yeah. going with ancient Sumeria, but yeah, that's that's fantastic. Thanks for that. Uh, just curious, back to some draft stuff. Uh, one of the guys that's been picking up a lot of buzz I see for you know Saints and mock drafts going, you know potentially with that 29th pick. This tight end class has been raved about, but uh, yeah, like I said, keep seeing a few people mocking Michael Mayer at tight end to the Saints at 29, and just you know just uh, wondering some of your thoughts on him. I think he's a, I think he's a wonderful player. Um, you know, not as athletic, right? A four, seven guy, less, you know, some of these other guys like Kincaid, uh, Musgrave are more like four, six guys. So he's a little bit slower than that, but he obviously has, you know, a lot of, you know, he had, he had to be the whole offense. I think it was like a 31% target share with Notre Dame. And he, he stepped up and did that. He's a bigger guy. Tight ends a hard position, right? Because, you know, Saints fans know, like, I mean, it's just, it's a position where like the great players kind of come out of nowhere and the top drafted players are really hard. It's hard to acclimate. And so, you know, it's a, it's not a great gamble when you take a guy at tight end early, but you know, when, where they're picking, like, I think, especially if it's early second round, you, you're going after guys like Musgrave or Kincaid or somebody like that who might, you know, mayor right now, if you look at grinding the mocks is about pick 24 
is where he's averaging in the mocks, Kincaid 26. So they're right around where the Saints, you know, uh, could get them. Um, it's not a great gamble, but given the way that this offense is and given how good Derek Carr was at throwing to Darren Waller um, when he was in, in Vegas in Oakland, like it might be, it might be worth a shot. I, I, I would still go corner. I would still go wide receiver even before and even defensive end now that, you know, Davenport's gone and, you know, Hendrickson's been gone for a couple of years now and they need depth there. Like that's where I would go. But tight end certainly is a possibility with one of the early picks. It's a good point because you look at a lot of these first round tight ends from the last several years, like Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Hayden Hurst. None of them are on the teams that drafted them. You're, you're drafting right. somebody else's tight end and they end up being yeah, good exactly. because they're, right. they're, they're not they're bad. Talented. It's just you're not, you're not, you're not on the draft for another team. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's because, you know, the position is very well, for one, it's because the position's not a premium position. It's really easy to access tight ends. So teams will move on quick more quickly but also it just takes forever for them to acclimate into the league. And so it's just a hard gamble right away. Right. And the Ravens defense, they did end up with Mark Andrews. So it's kind of hard to hate on the, uh, the miss on Hayden Hurst. Um, one more question, then we'll let you go. So as you kind of go through this field, if you, if you had to pick one player, whether it be first round, second round, mid, mid rounds that you are just in love with that you, you would, you would want on your team if you were starting one tomorrow, regardless of where you had to pick them, who would it be? Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, I like Zay Flowers a lot. Like, I think like he's a guy that's always open. He's a guy that gets open in sort of every area of the field. You know, I really like, you know, Boston College, one of those teams where you're like, okay, uh, why am I watching this game? And then you're like, oh, that's why I'm watching this game. And he's like the really the only reason uh, I thought he was fantastic uh, for, for the majority of his college career. He was on a lot of DFS lineups I happened to build uh, when I was at the, you know, st- working on college gaming and stuff. So I, I like him a lot. I think he he really does do a lot of the things that you need an NFL receiver to do, even at his size. So, Well, thanks so much, Eric, for joining us. We've been talking to Eric Eager, VP of Research and Development for Sumer Sports. And, you know, I said one more question, but I'll let you say two, two names or one more name and then let you go. Who's the top pick? Is it Bryce Young or CJ Stroud? I think so. The markets right now are basically 50 50. Um, it had gone, you know, towards, you know, it was, it was Stroud right after the trade. I didn't think there were really any fundamental reasons why that was the case. And the market has moved more towards Bryce Young over the last, you know, uh, 36 to 24 hours. I think that that movement is, is merited. I'll just say that. Well, one statistic I know matters is height. So. We'll see. We'll see how much that goes. Well, thanks so much, Eric. It's been fun. And uh, check out all of his work over at Sumer Sports. Check out his podcast with Thomas Dimitrov. And thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Definitely appreciate it. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. 
on Inside Black. We'll go one more segment to go. Thanks again to Eric Eager for joining us. I thought that was a really good interview. We broke down a lot of you know, what we're going to be looking at in the draft. Make sure to check out um, his stuff over at Sumer Sports. He does a regular podcast with Thomas Dimitrov, former Falcons GM. It's really good. They do a really good job. So uh, make sure to check that out. Um, but yes, yeah, so final segment, we are going to get into a live mailbag. We've been letting the questions kind of pile up and we're going to go through them. And so, Steve, first question. Hit me. Why don't you ever open the blinds? I feel like the sun would be kind of washing out. There's your answer because it would look awful. Yeah, anyway, right. You can close them. So I wanted to ask a question, but then I remembered that I didn't come up with a question. So I just asked the first thing I saw. Anyway, so we are going to get and just get into questions right off the bat here. And we got Jerry G. Pore Jr. always here, always talking. We are three weeks away from the NFL draft. What do you think the 29th pick will be for the Saints, linebacker or defensive end or defensive tackle? If those are my three options, I'm going to eliminate linebacker right out front because first, I don't think that it's necessarily a position of great need for you, so you're not going to tilt. Second, the Saints just don't draft linebackers in the first round. They haven't taken a first-round linebacker since Stephon Anthony, and I don't think this class of linebackers has anyone that you're really like falling over for to pick and I, I just don't see it defensive end maybe I think defensive line in general is is a potential place you're gonna mine I still think I mean I keep coming back to Osiris Torrance if he's there I'm taking him but you know th- there are options there are options and I think you're either going interior line or defensive line and uh and one way or another that's what you're gonna see but a guy like Mozzie Smith a guy like Brian Brzee these are all options on the table I think yeah, I definitely like the notion of going D-line inside at the at tackle definitely would be my first preference, but I still think, you know, addressing that end, I could see that happening for this team, obviously. They've done it in the past. We've seen, you know, a Davenport, a Peyton Turner, and maybe this time they could strike strike gold on a, on a first-rounder at that end position because it, it hasn't been good lately. I mean, obviously, though, you have the – I guess you could say gold standard of defensive ends with Cam Jordan with that pick. But after that, hasn't been so fortunate for them. One of the positions I was kind of surprised Eric Eager brought up was wide receiver. And that was still really high on his list. And I do think it is a need, but it wasn't as such a, a priority, I guess, in my mind. I think this is going to be the year that you that you really start to gauge how much value the Dennis Allen regime is going to put on wide receiver in the draft. Last year, it was no question you really needed to get a blue-chip wide receiver in the building. But under Sean Payton, you really didn't do that often. You you drafted Brandon Cooks, you drafted Michael Thomas in the second round, but beyond that, you did not spend a lot of top-end assets at the wide receiver position. I think Dante Stallworth might have been the only other first-round pick since Mickey Loomis in terms of a wide receiver pick. Oh, oh, you're right, Robert Meacham. That's another one. Good catch. But I do think this is a year where you're going to see that. If they spend... A second rounder or a third rounder, I'd, I'd be surprised if it's a first rounder, but Zay Flowers, I think, is is an intriguing guy. I've seen him mock there a few times, maybe a Josh Downs. You know, maybe that, that is something that we just don't know is now that you have a defensive head coach, does he err toward the side of, okay, we're going to use our top end assets on the offense because I know that I can mine the defensive side of the ball and develop the defensive side of the ball, whereas Sean Payton in the past was more toward the opposite where he knew he could find wide receivers. He was happy with the wide receiver room. 
even though it all I had was Traquan Smith, Marquez Calloway, and Deontay Hardy in there. Anyway. A thing eager too, I was and maybe it is because of that defensive now mindset, high on his list too, corner. Yeah, I think corner's high on everybody's list every year. It's such right. an important position yeah. that it can never be low on your list, even if you feel like you have enough. Like even look at last year, the Saints, I felt like had a great wide cornerback room that had a ton of depth in four starting cornerbacks in half the season that they, they were ended up like throwing Chris Harris out there for meaningful snaps. So, right. And people know. were mad with the Alante Taylor pick. It was like, Oh, we're drafting this guy, a special teamer so high. Can you imagine if they didn't have him where they would have been from a defensive, from a defensive back standpoint, midway through the season, obviously yeah. trading CJ Gardner Johnson did limit that, but yeah, for sure. Um, I just, I'm, I'm curious though, with that corner pick, you know, is it going to be something that they'd be willing to address, I guess, early on if something did fall to them in round one? I don't think so. I think a guy like Corey Trice is interesting out of out of Purdue. He's 6'3", big dude. They also have apparently had C.J. Johnson in for a visit, which I did appreciate because it's just one name away from C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But they could right. give him the same jersey, too. Yeah, he could wear 22, I don't think. No, Mark. well, Mark Inger's not on the roster anymore, so he could wear 22. Mark's right. still floating around out there, yeah. Got Rachel Cusimano, and I hope, hope I'm saying that right, in the building. She says, great haircut. Thank you. I appreciate that. Rachel, is it's worth mentioning, also gave us a great review on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, maybe do, maybe go do that. It's really, I do appreciate it. And I remember, and when you comment again, I'll bring it up. So, hey, thanks, Rachel. I appreciate that. Definitely appreciate it, Rach. Okay, Austin Kloska, another, another uh, you know, common, common commenter. Says, do we see the Saints staying at 29 or moving up for the right price? And I mean, I think this is a year where I'd really like to see the Saints stay at 29. I do not want to see them spend more to go up and get a guy who would be there at 29. If you're not going up for a quarterback or like a premium position, it's really difficult for me to sign off on that when you have already given up given away so many assets throughout the course of the last few drafts that said i can see it happening i mean it's hard you can't bet against it right as much as i wouldn't like to see it like for example if 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 osiris torrance like like we've talked about this i think osiris torrance is the only first round guard and if you want him desperately and you feel like that is a position of need and you just don't want to go into the season having to bank on Andres Pete being available for 17 games, which is a bad bet. And you can say, man, he's going to go at 26. We need to get up to 25. Fine. But I, I think it's way more likely that happens at 40 where you, you get into day two and you're like, no, this guy's not going to get to us at 40, but we really want him. And maybe you trade up in the second round or from 71 into the second. Like, I think this, the day two picks are much more likely for you to see the Saints move around because the, the, the cost is less and the margin is narrower, where there's just not as many people you might be confident in. And you just want to go make sure you get a guy that you have done your due diligence on and you have a good feeling about. So to me, I think it's more likely that you stay at 29 and you make something happen in the second or third round. In my video game brain, you know, playing Madden football, I would love to see this team trade down, accumulate more picks kind of thing. Uh, maybe somebody gets desperate enough where they want to trade into that 29 spot to draft Hendon Hooker because they want that fifth-year quarterback option and might be willing to deal with you like a, I don't know, like a Seattle Seahawks, I would say, 
might be interested to to you know move up and you could get more assets out of it but this team we don't see them do that if anything they see something they want and move up to go after it so uh, yeah it's it's hard to really obviously predict because if that scenario comes up in 3 weeks the Saints are going to make their move again to get their guy I don't doubt that at all yeah, and I mean, the Eagles are a good example of a team that does that all the time is trade back, accumulate more assets, and then make the picks, and they've done a really good job with it. But it doesn't always work out, right? Like, if you are trading down, and what ends up happening is you take a guy who you don't have a high grade on, or you might have some question marks about because because you've already missed the guys that you did have a good grade on and you did have a lot of confidence in, then that's, an, then that's something I don't like. Whereas, like, for example, the Giants... You know, you could have looked at that trade after the draft when they traded down with the Bears. The Bears went and got Justin Fields, and the Giants got a future first-round pick and then drafted a guy who had a ton of talent in Kadarius Toney, right? And you're like, man, what a what a boondoggle. What, what you know, what, whatever you want to say. What a, <laughs> what a what a haul for the Giants. And then look, two years later, Kadarius Toney is winning a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. So, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. But I would like to see the Saints be more amenable to it like especially as it pertains to like accumulating mid-round draft picks i want to see them draft in the mid-rounds more often because they've been so good at it yeah so but they money. end up trading them away yeah they've definitely been big hits i feel like more with those later round guys those mid-round to later round guys than those first round picks so you you could argue that they might be better off accumulating more of those later assets yeah it's poppy 504 says we go on wide receiver hyatt I think it's an interesting option. I do wonder how much of it is tied to Hendon Hooker. Like if the Saints end up drafting Hendon Hooker in like the third round and then they get to the fourth round and like we do kind of want another wide receiver and this is a guy who they have a very good rapport with. I think we talked about this in a previous podcast in one of our mock drafts where the Seahawks took cj stroud at number two and then at number 12 they ended up taking jackson smith and jigba and i think what's going to happen is teams see the success that joe burrow and jamar chase have had and they start trying to do that more often is bring in that that really really effective wide receiver that has that has found so much success with that quarterback and pair them together because the speed at which jamar chase and joe burrow started playing at an all pro level as far as a duo is remarkable. And I, I can't think of another corollary of like two guys who found that much success in college and then immediately reproduced that in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, everybody, they brought the gritty, I feel like to the NFL and it still continues on, which is he's not even the gritty guy. <laughs> it, it's just amazing how that trend just continues as well in sports, but with, uh, Hyatt, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, a burner, speed guy, not fitting that mold of the contested catch want that this team has made it clear that they're looking for. But I, I wouldn't be opposed to obviously another deep threat down the field because they have a guy in Rashid Shahid right now. Uh, but yeah, this is year two for him, so we we still don't know. Yeah, it does seem like it would be a bit redundant, just in terms of Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid. You already have two. Kind of rail thin speedster receivers, and I don't know how you could possibly get all three of them on the field at the same time. Which maybe that's not your concern. Maybe this is a long term development play, and you're not really worried about that right now. But 
from a from a fit perspective, I feel like you do need to kind of accumulate different types of receivers. And that would not be an example of this. That said, he's a very talented receiver. And if they have a good grade on him and they really like him and Tennessee is a school that they're very clearly very comfortable with from a development perspective, then yeah, I, I could see it happening. Yeah, we are, we are Ohio State and Tennessee alum central. Yeah, and, and uh, they've lost two of their Tennessee Vols, so they need to kind of rebuild that. Yes, restock the bin. Yeah, and that's obviously Shy Tuttle and Marquez Callaway. Austin Klaska again with – I'm trying to figure out what his avatar is. Is it like a grasshopper? I believe it's a grasshopper. Maybe, maybe a cricket of some kind. Who is someone you guys hope to see breaking out this season, hoping for Peyton Turner to get his act together? I mean, so that, that I think you answered your own question. If, if, the, if the question is hope – like if the question is who do I hope breaks out, then of course it's Peyton Turner. I can't think of any other player that would even remotely fit that mold of like someone who has underperformed to this point in his career and can be that breakout player, right? Can, like you can, can say can we get a, betting. Go ahead. Can we get a breakout year in health from Andrews Pete? Yeah, I don't think that that's how that works. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> plus, I wouldn't even like the problem with the offensive lineman is like, what does a breakout look like? You don't notice them, you know. Like Caesar Ruiz uh, had a breakout last year, so I guess you could consider that. Yeah, Trevor true. Penning is an answer, but he didn't really play last year, and and when he played, he was good. Yeah, it's more of health for him. Obviously, you don't want the breakout. You just please stay on the field. I don't even know what I would consider a breakout from him. Is my point because he hasn't played enough for me to have an, any baseline. Like you have to yeah. have a baseline before you can break out, and he doesn't have one yet. So I want to see him develop, but I'm not going to say breakout. So when you when I when you say hope, obviously that's Peyton Turner. Yeah, got to be. I totally agree. It has right, to be if Turner. If you're asking who I expect to break out this year and who didn't really do much last year, hmm. Andrew Dowell. We talked about this on last episode. I think that as you kind of go through the linebacker room and you try to figure out who can contribute more than they have, he is a guy who should be at the top of that list. Obviously, he's going to be a primarily a special teams contributor. But barring a high-value draft pick spent at the position, he is probably your number four linebacker right now. And he's going to have to be depth somewhere unless, again, like you bring in a veteran or you bring in a draft pick that's going to sit in there. DeMarco Jackson's another example of a guy who could rotate in. But again, I don't have a baseline for him to have any idea of what his what would be a breakout. He didn't play a snap. He got He ended his season in the preseason. So I think if the question is, who do you expect to show up this year in a way that did not happen last year, despite them being on the roster all season long, that would be Andrew Dowell. I'm going to go with Malcolm Roach just because of that Hmm. defensive tackle position is kind of lacking right now. We got some new pieces. Yes, they brought in in free agency, but Malcolm's a guy we know who's been around entering year four with the team and could be in line for just more snaps, more production, and interested to see what he's able to do with that commitment now even more from the team. And you know is a guy that has that heart for the black and gold, which is huge as well. Yeah, my only my only issue with that one is I, I feel like he had a solid year. Like, yeah. So I'm not sure what a breakout would be for him. A sack? In that you, in that, <laughs> yeah, a couple sacks, right? In that you know he's going to be kind of behind Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard in that rotation. So, you know, maybe I think it's a good, it's a good pick. But I'm just, again, I'm not sure what a breakout would be exactly. 
Yeah, um, I know what you mean. But, but I do think that he has to contribute more this year than he did last year, for sure. <laughs> Here's Austin again. Speaking of training camp, I wonder what Emmanuel Butler is up to. That's a good question. I believe it's the CFL, right? I don't – is it? Yeah, I think he's the Canadian Football League. I never heard from him in the uh, the XFL or uh, any of the other leagues, but I, I thought I remembered him going up to Canada and playing ball. But, man, that – you yeah, exactly. You talk about training camp. He was airline drive pro bowl ready. Yeah, he's a guy who I, I do feel – he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I can't even – like, I Google him. There's nothing. He's, like, fell off the face of the earth. I hope he's okay. He's enigma. I do I, – I, that was one of the first training camps I went out to when, when I started covering the Saints. And I, you know, I, I didn't go to all the practices, but I do remember everyone went nuts about him. <laughs> and he looked real good. He just never – I think they brought him back for, this, for the next training camp, but he didn't make it through it. And – he is really a fascinating uh, example of, you know, the pre preseason hype train getting a little out of control. Um, yeah, my, but... my very my very first training camp and my first interview with a player was actually double A, Adrian Arrington, another wide receiver name. Yeah, you, it's like, what happened to that guy? But I mean, like, Emmanuel is a special, special case because not only did he not make the roster or make the practice squad, where is he? Where'd he go? Yeah, I just went to, I'm guessing, yeah, it's one Butler, his Instagram page, and there's there's no, like, 55 weeks ago was his last post. It's, it's like him shirtless in the desert. <laughs> yeah, so I see him. He has, like, a CFL page. Oh, okay. He, it says he has three receptions for 30 yards. Oof. But, like, it doesn't say a team. It doesn't say anything. I don't understand it. Where did he go? Yeah, anyway. a, little bit, a little bit odd when you saw, like, you know, the Very USFL and, and XFL leagues popping up, and we've heard nothing from exactly. him. There's plenty of opportunity at this point. Right. Like, there's more opportunity than ever for yeah. a player who can't make the NFL to be able to at least showcase his abilities on TV. And he just, you know, I, you have to wonder if, you know, he went to Northern Arizona – He's from Arizona. You have to wonder if, you know, there's a mental element to this of like, did he want to do the work? Did he want to be an NFL player? And the the answer, it might sound obvious, but it's not a yes for everybody. Sometimes it's like, it's a lot of work. It's a big commitment. Kiko Alonso, this year, he signed with the Saints for like one day. He went to one training camp practice. And he forgot. said, forget this. <laughs> well, and, and and everyone was like, oh, he must have been hurt. Like his, his health must have been bad. He's like, no. He sat in one meeting and he was like, I can't commit to this. This is too much. Yeah, and he I just, can't do this anymore. And and like that's that's a thing that happens, right? Like that's not that's not unique to Kiko. Like the willingness to do the work is a much bigger element of making it in the NFL than I think a lot of people realize. No, that's a great point. Yeah, that it's not just you show up. <laughs> Maybe some guys some, some people do are, show up. Right. There are some. Like like a guy like Jadavian Clowney, I've always felt like he can just show up and be a effective NFL player. But he's a guy who had the natural ability to be a Hall of Fame player. And instead, he's like a fringe pro bowler, yeah. right? Like that kid could have rolled out of bed and and been a double-digit sack guy. Instead, he's just a guy that is floating around from team to team to team because I don't think he's willing to do the work. And anyway. But you know what? Because that talent is there is why he still gets a job. That's what's crazy. Well, right, right. Like he is that talented. And that's kind of, that's why it's kind of wild. Clarence Matthews, 
We can go best player available in the first round and go hooker, all caps, in the second. And the green wave, I assume you mean Tajay Spears, the running back in the third. Also, Steve, I love your hat. What's going on with that hat? Is it a Super Bowl hat? Yeah, that's the old Super Bowl hat. Nice. Found that one today and put it on. Nice. Still clean. Yeah, not doing too bad. That's my problem. Fit. Like I mentioned, I sweat a lot when I have a white hat like that over the course of years. Like if I if I went into my closet and I brought out like some of my old golf hats, you would just have this kind of like wavy, like <laughs> discolored line from the sweat. That definitely happens during training camp. That, there's Why another... I wear black hats. Yes. Probably noticed this. I wear a lot of dark colored hats. There's a reason. But no, yeah, I, I, I agree with this to some extent of like, I think you are definitely going best player available in the first round. I think you're also going best player available in the second round. Like what you say here is they could go hooker in the second round. He might be the best player available, right? I don't think you're saying, okay, best player available, then quarterback, then running back. Like that's not how the Saints are going to approach this. But, you know, like they they might really like Hendon Hooker and go after him. You know, um, maybe later on in the draft, I wouldn't say third round, but uh, the two-lane linebacker for sure could be a guy that, this team needs for depth as well as obviously, you know, the hype around Tajay Spears has been great, but um, you know, the, the, the linebacker spot, something we've, we've talked about too, which would be really interesting. Dorian Williams is, uh, is the, the two lane linebacker that you were referencing. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about in the last week's episode, which we should have, because we talked so much about the top 30 visits is, so you get 30 of them, obviously, as the name suggests. One caveat that is re- that is relevant, especially if you are someone who's hoping the Saints might draft Tajay Spears or Dorian Williams, schools that are within 50 miles of an NFL facility can visit without it counting toward the top 30 visit limit, right? So any two-lane player can go and visit the Saints without that. So like it's only like if they haven't visited them already for a private workout, it's almost inevitable that they will. Because it would just be a waste of an opportunity not to. But you might not see their name crop up in so-and-so has scheduled a top 30 visit with the Saints because it's not. it doesn't have to be official. The only other school that's on the fringe of that, and I, and I do need to figure out how they do this, is Southeastern Louisiana. Okay. And it might not matter because they are, it's, there's not a lot of NFL players coming out of Southeastern. But so if you if you did like a like a Google Maps directions from the Saints facility to southeast eastern Louisiana, it's 53 miles. So it's technically outside of it. But if you look at the map, it's only 53 miles because there's a giant lake in between the Saints <laughs> and Southeastern. And if you took a helicopter ride there, it's under 50 miles. So I have to I do I am curious how they establish the mileage. Is it mileage by car or is it just like just straight line distance well since it's involving the saints it says 53 it's out of range no good i just think it's funny because like most you know i don't, I don't know if they thought we're thinking about the, the lake pontra train when they were coming up with this 50 mile limit but it is interesting either way they have a locals day workout where they can they have everyone come in it's basically a pro day so it's not really i don't think it's ever going to be an issue but it's just kind of a funny thing but yeah all that said if if you were like freaking out because Tajay Spears isn't on this list of top 30 visits, keep in mind, he doesn't have to be. Right, because it's like, oh man, they need a running back. What are they doing? Yeah. That's a good little nugget though, because I had no idea about that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for like certain teams. Like if you are really close to like these big time colleges, you get a, that's an inherent advantage. 
but LSU is not in that. And it almost makes you wonder, like, maybe that's part of the reason that they haven't drafted many LSU players, because if they were within 50 miles and you had them come, like all of them come in for private workouts, like Jaquel and Roy, the Saints are having come in this year. But you have to wonder if like maybe in previous years, if they could have just had them without having to worry about that, that they would have got more. Robert Campbell says Jalen will not be there in the fourth round. I'm not sure who he's referring to. Jalen who? Oh, Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt. Okay. He spelled it. it it's spelled slightly differently. That's why I couldn't figure it out. It's J-A-L-I-N. But that's what he's talking about. Yeah, it's it, that's fair. He might not be, but who knows? There's so much variability with the wide receivers. Austin yeah. says, yes, it is a grasshopper. And, try, and trying to figure out, I mean, I think we can get maybe a sort of good idea of what could be around at pick 29, maybe. But yeah, guessing what's going to be around in the fourth round is, is you know, quote unquote, crapshoot or anybody's guess, you could say. There's just no way. You, you might be able to to guess luck and be lucky kind of thing. But man, uh, the draft is just so tough, obviously, too, because we can't even factor in trades that are going to go on on draft night. Yeah, and I also think the from getting from the third to the fourth round is is particularly difficult to gauge because of all the comp picks. And I think what happens when a team gets one or two comp picks in the third round is it's almost like a free swing, right? Like it's like this wasn't even your pick; you just so, got it. Right. And so it's like if if you were kind of questioning it with your real third round pick, maybe it's like, ah, why not? What, what's the worst that happens? Let's go for it. And so you might see some guys pick there that might be ahead of where they might be going. Otherwise, anyway, I think that's, that's definitely something to think about when you get into those comp picks at the end of the third round. I don't know if it's D-A-D-A. Maybe he's a big Dennis Allen fan, but I think it's more Data Saints number one. Dada? I don't know. Uh, he says he agrees with me. The Saints it, it, it wants to see the Saints stay at number 29 and let the board shape itself out. I really just want to see the Saints start collecting future assets like i'm so tired of operating at a deficit every year and you know like i'm i'm very vocal that i don't have an issue with how the saints operate from a cap perspective i like the way they do it i think they maximize their resources in a way that is unique and helpful in terms of staying competitive but what that doesn't marry with and this is the part that i think when you're going to criticize it this is where you could actually make some ground is if you're going to act that way, if you're going to prioritize it that way, you need value players, value contracts in these third, fourth, fifth round picks to fill out your roster so that you're not constantly having to go in for these kind of middle contracts in free agency to fill gaps. And that's where you haven't been drafting players. You've been trading them every year. And I just want to see them come out with like two or three extra fourth round picks in the next couple drafts so that when you're going into the draft, you already have it. You don't have to worry about it. And and that's where, where if you're constantly trading up, those are the picks that you're giving away. And I think that that's where I lose it a little bit is you have to pick one of those things. You can't constantly be taking dead money hits and then also be sacrificing your ability to have got players on rookie contracts. So I agree that I think I'd like to see them stay put in the first round. To me, like I, I said earlier, I would love the idea of, you know, moving down a little to accumulate maybe even more of those draft assets, but I can't even think of a time this team has honestly ever done that, Jeff. What stay put? To move down to. Oh yeah, they haven't done it since like 2007. I, I, there's like a crazy like they have not. They they just that's just not how they operate. And I think this it's just this team very much values its own analysis. And when it when it lands on a player that it wants to draft, 
they would much rather go get that player than settle for someone that they're not confident in. And I, and I appreciate that. I think it's the way you should go about drafting, but there is a limit, right? Like it, there is a point where just getting more darts up on the board, like you can say it's, you don't want to throw darts, but if you know that you're going to hit the board and it's just a question of what you hit, then, then the dart throwing method is not an issue. It's only an issue if like the, you can't even see it. If you close your eyes and throw a dart at the board, then yeah, that's a bad idea. But if you can see the board and you're aiming for a bullseye and maybe you hit a, you hit an 18, then yeah, throwing an extra dart helps you. Anyway, it, I think that the, the, the approach needs to be slightly different. I just think the inevitable is going to be, though, they end up trading up. <laughs> I know. That's, that's what I'm hoping Mickey's listening to this podcast, even though I know he's not. <sighs> All right. Randy Savage, macho man Randy Savage here. Yeah. I kind of mixed Randy Savage with Kermit there. Uh, O-line, D-line, keep car clean, and he will produce with what they already have and put opposing quarterbacks on their heels. Let's go, Houdat. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the Saints, that is very much a a clear trend that they built through the lines in the draft, right? You look at, look at where the first round picks have gone. Look, if you look at the first round picks currently on the roster, a vast majority of them are on the offensive and defensive lines. Heavy investments. Yeah. In the trenches, obviously. Right. Marcus Davenport left. He was a first round pick. Cam Jordan, Peyton Turner. Is there another one? No. Cause Marcus left and Marcus the defensive left. tackles are all new. So Cam yeah. Jordan, Peyton Turner, Andres Pete, Trevor Penning, Ryan Ramchek, Cesar Ruiz, Right. So that's eight of them, and or 10, 10 linemen on a field at any given time. Eight of them are first-round picks, and one of them is Eric McCoy, who was a second-round pick, but he was your first pick of that draft. So effectively, the same principle. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's – I'm going to hit you with now quick quiz. How many were senior bowl? Well, all of the defensive linemen were, except for Malcolm Roach. <laughs> I don't know about – so Eric McCoy was. Penning was. Penning was Caesar Ruiz. I don't believe was. I'm not sure about Pete. Pete, I don't think so. Anyway, most of them. Um, all right, a couple more, and then we'll move on and uh, close this out. Uh, one more from Austin, who's like I said, always active. This little grasshopper just chirping away. Oh, that reminds me. I've seen a lot of college running backs visit the Saints. I think that's very telling. It's a pretty good class. It is a good class. That's why. Steve having them pick Bijan Robinson in the first round is absolute nonsense. Yeah. The question isn't going to be whether they look at a running backs. It's going to be where they value running backs in this class. And I think fourth round, fifth round is where you're going to start to see it. Maybe third round. If you really fall in love with a guy, it's where you took Alvin Kamara, right? I think he traded up early in the third round to get him. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's really just a question of who they, who they really like. I think Kendry Miller at a TCU is really interesting is a guy they've had in for a top 30 visit. You're going to go from there. Dwayne McBride at UAB. I'm sure the Saints got a lot of good looks at him. Obviously, he's playing in the Gulf South. They've had every opportunity to go watch him play. They played LSU this year. He did get shut down by LSU, but he, they, they were obviously, if they wanted to go see him, they could. So I think he's intriguing. I don't think he's getting as much pre-draft buzz as uh, probably deserves. Yeah, I blame the whole draft, the sim- simulation for giving me uh, Bijan with that number 29 pick, I couldn't pass up on. You had no you know say what? in the matter. I, I still wouldn't, I still would pick him. I think I, I Steve can't, doesn't I, make his own decision. I, I just don't like the rest of my picks after him, honestly. Steve is blaming pro football focus. 
<laughs> who now I can't even access the rest of their their simulation. If Pro Football Focus jumped off a bridge, would you do it, Steve? What they said, Jeff. Good stuff. All right, I think we've run through most of these questions. If we missed you, I apologize. Um, I think we got we got we got most of them. We got a couple of congratulations in there. I say we, I mean me. Thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Yeah, and, Justin, uh, yeah. Mr. Lucky can call him the last, I guess. He's, he's been on a heater, as yeah. they say. I won our bracket. I won a drawing at work for a nice little chunk of change. And you're getting married. And I upgraded my hotel room in Las Vegas. <laughs> hey, yo, that's always a bonus, too. Yeah, they saw me coming miles away. They sent me an email this morning. Like, you should upgrade your room for X amount of dollars per night. And I was like, okay. oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Absolutely, right. man. Do it. Enjoy it. it- to the full yeah. everything. Camera last time I had a week off from work, and I will not be working. Just keep that laptop at home. No, I'm gonna take it with me. I, I can't. I, I I I was thinking about that. Like I physically cannot not have a laptop with me. It's not even about like working. It's just about like, what if I need to do something on the laptop? All right. If you do that, your soon-to-be bride will probably kill you. She'll have her own laptop. Are you kidding me? She's the one who's more likely to work. She she's way more likely to work on this vacation than I am. So. Yeah, just yeah. Don't be the guy that that does that, and I I wouldn't expect you to. Obviously. But she actually has an important job, <laughs> so like it's hard for me to be mad about it. I literally just talk about sport. If I was like, oh god, I have to do this, she's like, really? Do you? <laughs> What's the worst that happens? <laughs> anyway, freezing right, everywhere. Let's wrap this thing up before both computers computers actually get encased in blocks of ice. This is inside black and gold. Thanks everyone for hopping in. We haven't been able to do one of these live chats in a while, so I'm glad we were able to get one in today. All right, y'all. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to do that. And thanks for listening. As always, y'all are the best. Peace. Later.